Welcome back to Star Wars Meanderings and Ramblings. I have a really fun guest today, Trent Gander. So Trent, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a copywriter by day and by night, and I have loved Star Wars ever since I was a kid. Uh, I used to be really into like all the aspects of it. I used to read the books. I still have like 15 Star Wars books. I've read at least 10 times a piece uh, on my shelf. And I was big into the expanded universe until Disney came in and said, no, this is our game now. We're doing something entirely different. I'm just like, oh, let's see how this goes. Are you upset that it's called Legends now and that they completely annihilated the EO and it doesn't exist? Except what they want to exist and what they pick and choose, like Thrawn is A little bit. That that does bother me a lot, but I've I've fallen a lot out of the uh, the Star Wars uh, inner circles uh, over the last couple of years because other interests have gotten me. I'm just like, it's, it's just not me anymore. And it's really sad because I, you know, I loved it so much, but I just kind of like pulled back. It's like, okay, it's for other people now. I I just have to accept this. I don't have to be happy with everything. But when there's like something that really bothers me, it really bothers me. And that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> I feel like this podcast is turning uh, into like let's complain about opportunities. <laughs> okay, so um, we've got three movies specifically you want to talk about: Rogue One, The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. and A New Hope, which I was surprised to see on here. A New Hope, and how they're wasting opportunities with storytelling. Um, yeah. so tell me a little bit about A New Hope, though, because usually that's like the pinnacle. That is like the yeah, top. It, no one touches that, and everyone thinks that's yeah. perfect. Well, we have to we have to compare. I have to compare all three of them at the same time because A New Hope absolutely is the pinnacle. It is a great storytelling medium, but we have to compare it to The Force Awakens because it's trying to do a redux of A New Hope. So it wasn't like this is a terrible story uh, opportunity. Is more of why is this one vastly superior to the force awakens and how does that compare to its contemporary rogue one that came out about the same time and they had you know mixed reactions across all of them but personally i found the story in rogue one more compelling the characters seemed to be more fleshed out and the force awakens just kind of it was great to watch the first time when i thought about it it's just like there's there's a lot of stuff missing there's like I had a, a great conversation with one of my friends who I was helping run a, a Star Wars fan page for. And she said that, oh, you know, all those plot holes and stuff that you keep bringing up, those are covered in the, the documentary that goes along with the film. I'm just like, if I have to have an hour or two long documentary to go with a film to explain the plot holes, I've probably told a terrible story because those shouldn't be there or at least should be plausible enough so people just like, all right, we're not going to worry about that. But if it's like a major thing, and I have to have a secondary movie just to explain it. That's not even a part of the official canon. I'm starting to think that maybe somebody on the storyboarding at the writing just didn't know what to include. And they just kind of hack things off at random. So this is going to be a fun conversation because I like The Force Awakens and I really just like Rogue One. So <laughs> I'm going to find a lot of like, um, you're going to get, you might get some pushback from me. We're going to say that. All right. So. My actual issues with Rogue One, and I, so I knew we were going to be talking. I've watched the movie three times. I was <laughs> like, come on, you know what? Let's watch it again because you're going to be talking to Trent and he wants to talk about it. And Andor, I just watched Andor and I enjoyed it. So I was like, you know, maybe this will give me some some background and make me enjoy Rogue One again. And I think I made it about two thirds of the way through and I was like, no, my issues. No, I'm not doing this. <laughs> my issues are the characters. I think Cassie and Andor is the only interesting character, 
and there's not enough time given to him. I thought the whole movie should have been about him. I couldn't stand Jin, whereas I loved Ray. I thought Ray was self-sufficient. I thought she moved the story along. She was able to get herself out of sticky situations. And maybe this is just coming from like my feminine perspective. But I thought Jin was just this figurehead who was so boring, who couldn't get herself out of any situation. Every sticky situation she ended up with, guess who rescued her? Who? Andor. (laughs) Yes! Thank you, Andor. And she would whine and complain and be stuck all the time. I mean, like when everything was falling on her on Jeddah, who rescues her? Andor's like, get out of here when she's over her dad's dead body. Get out of here. It's Andor. Andor who's always rescuing her. And I was like, how is this a good movie when you're trying to tell us this female is strong and an empowering figure? So anyway, now I'm going on tangent and a rant. But I also thought the other characters like Baze, Cheer Imwe, they all were just kind of like there was so much more to them. But because you couldn't get that far, they just were flat. Because you couldn't delve into their personal development. Whereas it felt like, at least with Ray and the characters in The Force Awakens, you got a little bit more from their backstory. Yeah. So for me, the reason why I liked Rogue One was that they seemed like fully fleshed out characters. Now I know I have to cut The Force Awakens a lot of slack because they're setting up they're setting up the next trilogy. They're setting up, this is the new Star Wars. This is the Star Wars of an entirely different generation than the one back in the 70s. And this is their first experience with it. And the problem with it is, is that the characters, for me, didn't feel like there was something else behind them. There wasn't uh, a level of experience. Like my my biggest gripe is um, Kylo Ren and General Hux. And I it took me such a long time to remember General Hux because he's that memorable. And they're the new renditions of Darth Vader and Moff Tarkin. When we were first introduced to Darth Vader, there's no question. He is in charge. He is a force to be reckoned with. He is something special within the, at least the Imperial military. Moff Tarkin, he's a, he's an older gentleman. He's experienced. He knows what he's doing. People defer to him and he's not the super uh, imposing individual. He looks like somebody's professor who just so happens to be in a military uniform, but there was a competence to him that were not present in Kylo Ren and General Hux. And yes, you could make the argument that it's because they are inexperienced. They are new to this. They aren't, you know, in their sixties or seventies as, Darth Vader and Targon were, but the problem of it is, is that they don't have the the feeling of they're up and comers. There, there's no, not there's nothing shown in their behavior that indicates how did they get to this position. It's like there's like that one spark of tactical genius that someone might have, or the other feeling of they were forced to grow up too quickly. There was none of that. There's just these two guys doing stuff. It wasn't like. I'm overwhelmed. I, I'm not cut out for this. I'm barely making by, like we see in some of the earlier versions, renditions of Anakin Skywalker in the first three movies or the three prequels. And we don't get the, I know exactly what I'm doing when we encounter them in things like Princess Leia or Han Solo, because they're all relatively young in the original Star Wars. That goes into another gripe that I have is that there is a certain level of, I don't know what the hell I'm doing that goes into being able to create a relatable character. Like the most relatable character in Star- the original Star Wars, New Hope, is Luke. 
Luke is playing with his toys, wants to go to college, and just wants to hang out with his friends. Oh my gosh, and... that twin sunset scene when I was younger, yeah. you, it just spoke to me, right? You're like, oh, I want to yeah. get out of my parents' house, and I want to go on an adventure, yeah. and I want to go see the world. And it just there's so much longing exactly. in that scene. Like I was, I felt like I was Luke. <laughs> yes, that's that's the connection that I'm looking for in a good story. It's like, okay, we have Princess Leia. I'm a diplomat. I'm great. I am running essentially information for the Rebel Alliance, and I'm part of the command structure. Where it's like, okay, cool, great. I don't identify with that because like on a day-to-day basis, I sometimes don't even know what I'm doing. And then it's just like, man, I don't want to go pick up stuff for the moisture farm. Everything's on fire. I just want to go hang out with my friends. This is stupid. And it's like, that's a 16-year-old. <laughs> that is legitimately a 16-year-old. I have been there. Everyone's been there. And it's just like, ah, a normal person in a sci-fi fantasy realm. He's just, you can take him out of every single uh you can take him out of Star Wars, drop him in any other single like TV show or situation, and he is still a 16-year-old. It just so happens to be on some desert planet with two sons. You can take him out and put him in Ohio of all places and be like, still the same problem. That's that's the thing that I'm I think I was, was missing with Ray. Like I found her adorable. I, I just love the character, but for me, there wasn't like enough development. It's like we have it's like Ray. Does a couple of things, then somehow manages to become skilled in like everything, like hands like down. Force sensitive and able to just like do things really quickly. It was like a speeded up, yeah. sped up timeline. Yeah. yeah and you was, make was... you make a good point because now that I've never thought about it that way, but I feel like even in Empire Strikes Back, Luke is relatable. We've all had that like teacher or that person that we look up to a role model that we can yeah. never like you know with leota yoda he was like you are the impossible this is impossible i can't do this it's so hard and we've all had those moments when we're learning something new and we like in a way hate the person who's teaching us because they're just so much better than us and we're never gonna get there and so that's relatable too and even if as we go into return of the jedi Luke is still in some ways relatable because he has to face these really hard moments, but they're very human moments. Like, even if you like, you can't relate to like Darth Vader being your father and coming to terms with that, but you can re- relate to like the death of someone you love having to tell a family member something that's very hard and difficult. It's like you almost like grew with Luke, I feel like, and, and related to him. And I've never thought about it in that way. Cause I do love Ray. But I I liked her and I loved her because I liked that she was just so self-sufficient and she didn't need to rely on anyone. But that's not really relatable for me in my first world, you know, country and where I am. It's just not relatable. So I I think that you make a very good point. None of the characters in the new trilogy are relatable. So there was um, there's a book called Here with a Thousand Faces and it follows the hero's journey. Yeah. And. Luke starts off at nothing and he grows to become something that he goes through the, the cycle of, of the hero's journey. Yeah. He goes, th- he goes yep. through all that. We, we don't, we get just the highlights of everything for Ray. Like the closest, the closest relatable character we might have is Finn because I was thinking that he has no idea what he's doing. He's a janitor in the middle of a war. He, he's just got out. He's trying to figure things out and he's like, I don't know what to do. So we are, our correlations are Kylo Ren is Darth Vader. Hux is Moff Tarkin. Uh, 
Han Solo is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Poe Dameron is Han Solo. Uh, Finn, I don't have a, a direct correlation with Finn, but Ray is obviously supposed to be Luke Skywalker. But it's better to have Finn be Luke Skywalker, but he's not Force-sensitive. There's nothing really special about Finn at all, other than he's somewhat comedic relief. And Well, he's I the love... catalyst. I always tell people he's the catalyst. He's the one that kind of puts things in motion. Yeah. Right. I, I love the interaction between Poe and Finn. Like it was the it was like a buddy cop film yeah. where like the new guy is, is paired with the grizzled veteran and they've got to learn how to make things happen. And they just never explored that. Mm-hmm. It's just like it happened. Eh, whatever. And that that's that's the part I'm talking about where it's a a waste of potential. They could have explored an amazing, like almost Lando Calrissian Han Solo vibe going with the whole thing but they didn't and they decided to almost make a mayor sue out of ray and that she's good at everything there's nothing wrong there's there's everything it's like no we have to we have to see that even the heroes have hardship that they understand and they grow and they feel just like us if there's no feeling to the character i'm not gonna care like i don't think anyone has ever had like a super good emotional connection with the emperor He's just like, yeah. shows up, ah, I'm a bad guy, do my stuff. And then he dies. And he shows up, ah, made you look, do my stuff. And there's, there's, that's very robot there. chicken of you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they did a good rendition, but it's, it is what it is. He is supposed to be this, the shadowy, evil character that we're not supposed to connect with. He's supposed to be separated from us because he's the bad guy. Like, we like Darth Vader because he is the bad guy. But we can relate to some parts of what he's done, what he's gone through, especially as we look throughout the entire series and see like all the problems and all the emotions that he's had to deal with. It's like, oh, that makes so much sense now why he's kind of a hard ass in the first in the first movie. And then it goes on and then he's like, oh, this dude's my kid. Well, that changes everything. Hey, um, your mentor kind of lied to you. I'm still alive. He just said I was dead. And it's like, what? Yeah. So the the storytelling, the building, the layering is something that's really hard to do in, in all storytelling situations because you have to you have to keep all the lines connected but parallel at the same time. It's like, well, we're gonna deal with this later. We have to plant the seeds for it now, otherwise it's gonna be a DSX machina just pop out of nowhere. Hey, by the way, I don't know, something happens. And I think because Rogue One had a definite ending point, which was you're going to literally end right when A New Hope begins. So you really can do whatever you want as long as it gets to that point. So they had a specified end goal and they were given a little bit of uh, freedom of creating, yes, rich characters that never really got to be explored but, but then they they're not they rich. Going. That's the whole. That's my whole issue with Rogue One. I don't think the characters are rich. The only one I was interested in is Cassian Andor. And now mm. I'm so happy he had his own TV show because I was like, that was the only character I thought was the redeeming grace of that entire movie. So why do you think they're rich characters? Tell me, tell me why, because I struggle. Okay, so we know that Finn was supposed to be comic, comedic relief. He makes a couple of jokes. I feel they fall flat. We have in Rogue One them putting a hood over a blind man so he doesn't see where they're going. And he says, are you kidding me? I'm blind. Right. So he has a, a very human reaction to what is, to him, this ludicrous situation. And so we have more, more human interactions, even with K2SO and 
uh, some of the other characters too. Of course, I can't remember the names now because of course they're super memorable. And it is it's felt like they reacted more like true human beings rather than the idealized forms we're kind of trying to get into with The Force Awakens. It's like if I took six random people off of the street, they would react similarly to these six random people that we encounter in Rogue One. Okay, so let's go through the characters. Since I it's fresh in my mind and I just watched 30 minutes of it yesterday. We've got Bodhi Rook, the defector. All right, he's the one who is the TIE tie pilot. Was he a TIE pilot? I see, now I can't even remember. He's some kind of pilot, and he he's defected. He's some sort of pilot. Yeah, I could be getting him confused with him. But Bodhi Rook, and then we've got Jin Erso. <laughs> then we've got Cassian Andor, Baze Malbus, which is basically the guy with the gun. And we've yep. got Shirit Imwe, who is blind. The, I'm one with the Force, the Force is with me. That's how everyone knows him. And then KTUSO. Mm-hmm. That's the whole band in Rogue One. Yeah, so we have. We'll start with Cassian, which goes into the, another topic that we wanted to bring that I wanted to bring up, which was uh, Cassian is or Andor is straight up a spy. It is the completely brutal, ugly st- type of stuff that happened during the Cold War, which is super realistic. This is like, hey, I'm here to do good thing, good things, quote unquote, and it's just like I'm here to finish the mission. That grittiness, that that horrible underbelly was what star Wars was going towards with stuff like the clone wars and even to extent star Wars rebels. And it was a, a somewhat realistic look at what goes on in wars and spy games and all this other stuff where it's like uh, the hero would save the contact and swing out of there like Tarzan on some sort of improvised uh, cable in row one. No. Uh, and or liquidates him. It's just like, sorry, bro. Mm-hmm. You you know too much, and then he escapes. That's what makes Andrew a great character because he's uh, an anti-hero esque. And we've seen a lot of other TV shows and Netflix ad- adaptations use a lot of anti-heroes, specifically things like The Punisher with Frank Castle, and uh, some of the more mature shows that have been coming out in the last ten or so years. They all feature a common theme of anti-heroes who do a bunch of dirty stuff for good reasons. And Andor fits that mold perfectly. And this is why. And there's like, of course, the glimpses of redemption in him when like, she's like, you were going to kill my dad. And he's like, I had multiple times to kill your dad to pull the trigger, but I didn't like what? And so there's there's like those moments where you're like, oh, but he's a good person. He's on the rebellion and he, he's doing the right (laughs) thing. Then he caves in some dude's skull in the next scene. And you're just like, "Mm, I have have questions. (laughs) But that, that's, that's the thing that makes him a good character for me because he is so morally complex and is, is not afraid to harm other people for stuff. He's like a very neutral character. Instead of Luke is obviously like a chaotic good element. He's like, he's trying to do the good thing, but he doesn't know how. He doesn't have the structure to it. While Obi-Wan is the old school law and order. Yeah. This is what we did. So. Andor kind of falls in between them. It's just like, sometimes I do good things, but I also do bad things for the right reasons. And we we move on to K2, which is, if I remember correctly, he's Andor's like sidekick. for like Yeah, medicine. he's basically his droid, um, an Imperial droid that was reprogrammed by Cassian. We don't know yeah. how yet. Well, they'll probably show that in the second season. But yes, he's the comic so... relief. And I found him kind of annoying, but you know what? I actually... Rewatching this, I 
I tolerated him a lot better than the first few times I saw it. That's because he portrays like a pure robot. A friend of mine based a character off of K2SO and plays in one of our D&D games. And one of the things is, is that K2 does not act like a person. C3PO acts like a person who is just my manservant Claude. K2 acts like someone who has no understanding of human social interactions and is trying to make people feel okay while being slightly intimidating. Yeah, good point. I've never really thought about it that way, but that's a good point. Exactly. Then uh, we go the guy with the big gun. Literally every Ace. single machine gunner ever. Something's moving. We're hitting it with a lot of bullets. It's just every single machine gunner. I like an actual real world soldier who's just like, I'm sick of this crap. I've had to carry this big ass gun all day. I'm just going to let my anger out in the only way that's going to be beneficial right now, which is fighting these people and shooting everything I can see that's not my friends. But how did how is that character like any kind of fleshed out character? To me, that's just an archetype. It's not any like real. It's a stereotypical. It, it kind of is, but it's a real stereotype for a reason. And his interactions with Kirib Imwe seem to be a little bit more the part where I would say he's fleshed out. But it's like, yeah, yes, he is essentially just a grunt with a gun. But he interacts with Kirib Imwe in a way where it's just like, okay, I've got to be this guy's eyes because he can't see. I have to not just be a grunt with a gun anymore. I have to be there for my friend. One thing That's... I picked up on, which I hadn't, I hadn't picked up on ever before, was when Imwe said that Baze used to be one of the, the best guardians or something, or one of the most loyal servants of the Wills or whatever he said. And I thought that was interesting. So there's like, a again, it's like this little snippet of like a character that was like, and some of me is wondering, is Disney doing this on purpose to drive people to like comics or books or whatever has Baze Malibus's background story, right? Because you're like, oh, yeah. he was once really loyal to the world. Like, oh, that's interesting. I want to find out more yeah. about that. Which goes into the the wasted opportunities. We keep getting these things where it's just like super interesting character. I want to know more about it. Denied. But no, and... that's the thing. Why is that a wasted opportunity? Why is that? Because Disney's looking at that as like, here's this great way we can make 10 comic books about this character and get more money because people are going to be buying it because they're interested in the backstory of these two yeah. two characters, right? Well, let's, so, look at, let's look at the the thing that fell flat in The Force Awakens because we have, um, I forget her name, Captain Phasma. Yes. Captain Phasma is supposed to be Boba Fett. That's okay. it. Boba Fett was supposed to be super cool. People people love Boba Fett, despite the fact that his actual appearance in the movies is, I, I stand next to Darth Vader and I hold a gun. Yeah. I stand next to Darth Vader and I hold a gun. I get hit in the back of my jetpack and I fall into a giant alien monster and disappear. And I was just like, we want Boba Fett. So they're trying to set up this super cool, uh, mysterious... I don't want to use the term macho, but like mysterious, powerful figure on the side that you want to know about. And they try to do that with Phasma. Phasma just walks around shiny and chrome and then gets done dirty by being dealt with off screen. We at least saw what happened with Boba Fett. He gets hit and he falls into a Sarlacc pit. Captain Phasma is just like, I'm going to go, you know, to the can and then just never comes back. And so. Okay, agree we with you. We were trying to make her cool, but somehow they just end up in the trash compactor, and we just don't show that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I agree with you there. That was kind of wasted. And that was kind of, I mean, it could have been for time. I mean, the story is about Ray. It's not about Captain yeah. Phasma. And like, I mean, we don't get to see Boba Fett in the Sarlacc pit. We don't get to see Boba Fett. Fett well, technically, I guess we did in the book of Boba Fett, but let's pretend that didn't. Well, exist. okay. The, <laughs> the, the thing of it is, how much screen time would have it wasted if they literally just show Finn pushing her into the compactor? Just like, hey, pop. Like, we at least would have seen, oh, that's how they got there. So it's like, she's in one scene that she's never seen after that. There's no yeah. explanation. There's just a difference. Even if you have just seen, like, her helmet uh, with a blaster mark on it in the sunshine. Or, like, her shoes in the background as she's lying there or something. Something to explain uh, in the background to explain what has happened. Because one of the problems that people have with, like, a lot of cinematography and things is, like, what do I include in the scene? I can include a, a really minute detail that that one super fan is going to be like, I see it. This explains my entire theory. It proves everything. <laughs> and we don't get that with Phasma. Phasma just disappears. There's there's no hints. There's no extra storytelling because, you know, I, I find myself doing this for the most part. I focus on the characters that are moving in the screen, not necessarily on the background. But with a lot of the other films, they include things in the background like i rewatched uh a new hope a while ago and i totally forgot about the part where c-3po is tossing a jawa's body onto a fire to burn it after the sandcrawler incident i'm just like that's a really interesting detail because we at least know how uh certain parts of the society deal with dead bodies now and that's like a nice little detail but it's not like oh yeah by the way uh if you're if you're bored and you look over there you don't see somebody just like piling a bunch of bodies into a furnace and, and taking care of them unless somebody had to think about that it's like you know what that's an important detail we need to feature in the background maybe no one will notice but we know it is there it has to be featured so that, that whenever you talk about that. this like wasted storytelling it's like funny when you were talking about kylo ren and general hux and i actually do like general hux a lot he's just a bratty kid and i i found him a very interesting character um but he when you were talking about these things about them i was like i felt like your friend because i was like oh but there is more to the backdrop of them because i remember reading a book and there was this whole thing on kyle ren in the book and then i'm like oh but this is this is a point like this is i'm basically proving what you're saying because yeah. if you have to go read the Star Wars novels in order to understand more about the characters on the screen, that doesn't make sense for the massive audience that, because the, the movie is basically the the pillar, right? It's yeah. the foundation. It is the easiest and most digestible thing people can have. Like, if you just watch The Force Awakens, a friend of mine actually asked me which order to watch the movies in when she was oh i love this question i love it everyone has a different opinion what's yours what 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 order did you see my personal opinion is year of release because all the world building happens in the first three movies the prequels assume you know something about star wars when you start reaching them because all of a sudden we're uh, jumped into the middle of a trade agreement and these dudes with laser swords are trying to negotiate something and all of a sudden people are fighting like there's no context whatsoever meanwhile with the opening drop of like the original star wars we're given something that and we're jumping no, right into the we're action not, though that's that's one of the greatest things i think about a new hope i actually am going to argue on this one because i think there is no context and that's what makes it interesting but the thing is it goes slower 
it's not as quick it as does. the Phantom Menace, right? Like you're spending a long time mm-hmm. with R2 and 3PO on Tatooine trying to figure out what the heck yeah. they're doing there. Who are they looking for? And meanwhile, there's all this rumblings up in space and Princess Leia's caught and yeah. they're dropping. We're, we're tossed like, immediately into something that's very clearly a conflict and we're introduced to the the antagonist immediately. Stormtroopers bust through a place, start whacking everyone in sight, easily, I might add. And then this giant dude dressed all in black comes in, intimidates everyone, breaks a guy's neck. And meanwhile, Princess Leia is just like, hey, take these plans, get out of the ship, we're doing something. And it's like, okay, we have a problem. How we get, the, how, what are the plans for? Okay, I don't know. We, that's kind of covered. Now, how are these droids going to get those to something else? And then. We cut over to Luke. What are these droids doing here? Hey, yo, we got a uh, we got secret plans for something. We need to get to to investigate this individual because she needs help. We're looking for this old grizzled veteran of some such thing that maybe doesn't exist anymore. And that kind of sounds like that random hermit I met like three years ago. <laughs> and it's like we we have a context of a backdrop of obviously clear conflict, but we don't really get the how and the why of that conflict immediately with things like the phantom menace it's like okay what does trade agreements have anything to do with this it's just like when we're listening to the conversation between darth vader and Leia, it's like you're part of the rebel alliance okay they're rebelling against something no this is diplomatic aircraft uh diplomatic community leave me alone well that's that's the, the the little parts of the dialogue help create something that we'll understand to an extent that it does create the backdrop but we don't get that in some of the the original trilogy because or not trilogy the prequels we're we're assuming that we already know what the hell a jedi is we're assuming we know what droids are we're assuming we know what the, the republic is we're assuming uh we know all these other things and then it's like well hey by the way there's a giant clone army that no one asks questions about that we're just so happy to be making tailor-made for you Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, the Chancellor has been kidnapped in the in this third movie, and you need to rescue him, and all this other stuff. And hey, by the way, did I mention that I uh, I know how to save your wife? It's like, it's like okay, I'm I'm listening. It's like okay, all those th- those three movies build up to that point of the fall of Anakin Skywalker. But we have to know, in order for that to make the most impact, we have to know where he's going, where he becomes. Darth Vader. And we also have to know about the world around him because essentially dudes at a union party saying, uh, we're here to break the union. Why? Why are you here to mm. break up this union? Why are you what does it matter if this one place is blockaded by a trade federation? So I feel like the prequels were made for the people who needed more Star Wars and were expected to understood at least something of Star Wars before it starts off. Well, 1970s a new hope is like no one knows what the hell a droid is no one knows what the hell a jedi is we got these people named stormtroopers so that you think about world war one and world war two germany and all the evil that they're supposed to represent and then we got big bad darth vader in the middle of it he's controlled by somebody else and it's like 30 minutes before you reach tatooine that creates a much more dynamic situation than I'm at a board meeting and somebody pulls a gun on me. Like that's that's drama. Yeah, it is. But there's a difference between running a rebel blockade and 
literally having the good guys lose out of the gate and just barely escape with some of the information and we don't know if they're going to succeed or not creates a much different tension on screen than well someone's trying to kill us i guess uh super uh space samurai is going to have to activate so you say then we sh- you should definitely watch four five six one two three Seven, eight, nine, or would you cut out seven, eight, nine? Are you just like so against those that you're like, no, no. I, I, I would, I don't, I don't say people shouldn't watch the newer ones, but they, they don't have the world building that a new hope has because it's been like 40, 50 years since Star Wars came out. It's integrated into our culture so much that somebody somewhere has at least heard of a lightsaber. They may not know what it's about, but. They kind of know what a Jedi is. You see all those reaction videos of my friend who's never seen this tries to summarize the plot of Star Wars and they get kind of close. So it's like as much as we get osmosis about Star Wars being part of our culture, there was too much reliance on that in The Force Awakens, in my opinion. Because, okay, dudes with laser guns. Mm. Cool. Some guy's running from somewhere. Cool. There's a dude with emo shoes and a giant hood coming in acting like he's like on the tough guys like oh wait are you talking about before. kylo ren yeah he's got emo shoes what are you talking about if if you look at him stomping around through some of the things it almost looks from the shadows that he's got like six to seven inch platforms in how he walks uh, i hold on now i kind of look this up <laughs> i don't remember his shoes I don't think his shoes are actually that big. Oh yeah, but they're the like way these he walks. Boots. Yeah, they're, they're these, like these, punk these rocker almost. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like he's just stomping around through all the little different scenes that he's in and it does not carry the same weight of the slow determined walk that Darth Vader has. And he's just like stomp 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 stomp. stomp actually, stomp, 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 stomp. when I was watching Rogue One I was like, this Darth Vader is not the Darth Vader of the original trilogy. He's walking much too fast. So th- that's that's another thing uh, that uh, caused me not to watch the rest of the, the new trilogy was that the interviews with Mark Hamill where he says, I had to pretend Luke Skywalker wasn't the Luke Skywalker that I originally played. They were yeah. written entirely different. And when when you have to have... You have to keep in mind the continuity of, of all the movies. If you're going to be building off of an established franchise, you should at least be close or at least relatively uh, close to the characters that have already been established. If the guy who's been portraying him for 30 plus years says, this wasn't my character, you might want to pull back. Like, how can we make was essentially the subject matter expert on portraying this character say that it's not his character? Yeah. I mean, I, I've had a lot of discussions with people about this. And like, if you go back in my podcast, you definitely, you definitely hear my complaints about the Luke Skywalker. Um, so tell me a little bit, though, about how you think, you know, we've had a switch of momentum from gritty realism to E for everyone. So for the most part, uh, I liked the Republic Commando series written by Karen Travis, and she portrays uh clone troopers as humans in a very gritty war and star wars the clone wars despite the fact that it's made for kids is really freaking dark it like, is there it is, is pretty there's dark. there is these like hey kids 
this is what war is like. It's not all happy trails, Jedi stuff. It's people dying left and right. And they even have a zombie brain eating organism in one of the things. It's just like, that's terrifying. What the hell? I remember I was, uh, I was watching like one of the first, I want to say six episodes of the Clone Wars. And it's just like, Hey, by the way, that character that you liked, yeah, he blows up in the end. What? No, I like that guy. Well, that's just how it is. The very and- first episode, if you don't count the movie, if you just jump into the very first episode, is there's like they're they're Anakin and Ahsoka are flying through like this wreckage and trying to find people who are alive, and you see just like dead pilots like in their yeah. ships just, just floating just around everywhere yeah like, yeah because i, the I watched it my names. daughter was like four and i was like maybe i could watch this with her and i had, and i had re it was a rewatch basically and i was watching yeah. it and i was like oh yeah i forgot about this no no this is not for four years so, old <laughs> so that, that's kind of where star wars rebels come in but even then they have like people get stunned and and like that that's the gritty realism like it's not this super clean bunches of robot parts everywhere like it was in the in the original movie for star wars the clone wars it's just like yeah we're we're hitting all these droids and stuff and it's just it's just metal compared to oh this is a bunch of meat bags strewn all over the place that's an arm that used to be part of somebody oh no it it ratcheted up the this is a little bit more real this isn't the idealized uh Jedi version like even even the original Star Wars has the scene where Obi-Wan Kenobi cuts off some dude's arm in the cantina and it's like I was talking about this in another podcast I was like I feel like it's a prerequisite in the movie is like someone's arm has to be cut off and I hadn't noticed until I was watching it with my daughter and I was like oh geez there's another arm getting cut off (laughs) yeah it's like every single time somebody loses a limb the the tone of the conversation changes it's just like, oh, so we're not playing around. This isn't just somebody like walking into yeah. a bar. It's like this show and like no one bats an eye afterwards. Like no one is at all completely alarmed that this just dude just dismembered part of somebody. And just like sucks to be you nerd and just goes about their business. Like it's not my problem. Or even with the um, the ever present question of who shot first. Original yeah. Han Solo's like, oh, sorry, this guy's kind of going to be sorry about the I don't want to go. <laughs> it's just like bang that, that's, I, know, I that's... actually that was that was one of my favorite parts when i was a kid it was actually this that weird dynamic in the cantina where people can get shot and their arms cut off and everyone just kind of gets silent and looks and then keeps on drinking i remember thinking that was so cool <laughs> exactly and that's part of the gritty realism like there there's just certain parts of the world it's like listen that can happen to me i'm not bringing it up I'm not snitching. I'm not doing anything. So Star Wars has always had that kind of level of gritty realism where the stakes are shown to be very high. There's always going to be some sort of escalation. And yes, you have the the cool starfighter scenes where we've got the the ace pilots going around and people being blown up in, in spaceships. But it's different than when you see their head floating without their body afterwards. And we were getting more and more of that in all of the cartoons, all of this other stuff. And you kind of get, the, I don't, I haven't watched uh, the Mandalorian, even though I probably should, but it seems like they have that. It seems like they have that in Andor, but you didn't really have that in the force awakens. You have a lot of blaster scenes. You have a lot of not as impressive fight scenes where it's just like, Oh no, somebody just got chunked. There's no parts flying all over the place. It's more of, it's a little bit more sanitized. 
So, I don't know. I see. I don't know about that. I mean, Kylo Ren killed his dad. He killed Han Solo. He killed his dad, but he. But we see what what do we see of that? We see Han Solo's face super up close, and then we see a light appear behind him. That's different between Han Solo's head tumbling down by itself into the or like even Darth Maul getting cut in half. Yes, and yeah, you see both halves floating down the shaft. Yeah, like there was it was it was there like there was blood on the arm in the in Star Wars A New Hope for the guy in the cantina. It's like oh crap. And it's it it was personal between Han Solo and Kylo Ren, but it wasn't like super graphic. You could possibly show that to somebody under the age of thirteen, and they they would not have nightmares afterwards. And it's like we communicated that he has killed his father, and then he drops off into the the murk, which we know that that doesn't necessarily mean they're dead, but he's pretty much in that's it's it's not the same as the the piles of bodies of stormtroopers and clone troopers in all the conflicts that go from uh attack of the clones through return of the jedi it's like well this is this is escalating because it becomes more it becomes less about the skywalker dynamic and the the jedi and becomes more about the common person which was what the force awakens is trying to do we have the destruction of the, the equivalent of the Death Star done by a non-Force sensitive. We have Finn and Poe becoming the individuals who the story kind of starts to revolve around. Then we switch over to Rey and Rey's Force sensitive. And we're trying to get rid of the, the Skywalker dynasty. I, I gather that that didn't work. Um, but it's like, if if the push was to be more about the non-Force sensitives, the non super special people, just people who are really good at their jobs or, or just regular people. We weren't getting that. We, we, it's like, we started it. Then it's about the Jedi again. It's like, well, the non-force sensitives can't move things with their mind. They're going to have to blow a hole in the wall with explosives and all this other stuff. And it's like resorting to somewhat realistic means of what we would do. It's just that it's lasers and a, a box like this big compared to something on the size of a backpack to do. And that's that's the gritty realism I'm talking about. It's like we're uh, I'm sure you've probably seen the memes with uh, Mandalorians versus Jedi. We can block bas- we can block blaster bolts. Parry this, you filthy wizard flamethrower! <laughs> and it's like the the gritty realism aspect uh, is the absolute brutal methods that people who cannot move something with their mind have to resort to to achieve a success. And they like they set it up for it. They absolutely did with the the last run. We didn't need the force. We just got an ace pilot there sending in to destroy Star Killer Base. And then it's just like, okay, back to the space wizards. Did you That's like the, cool the Last stuff. Jedi? I haven't watched any of the the, the second. Oh no, I you have not, haven't. I have, okay, I have, I was I've watched the Force Awakens. You Rogue might one, like the last like, Jedi. Then you might like it. There's there's a little bit more, I think, gritty realism in it, as you like to call it. So you are just I, like I, so disappointed with the Force Awakens. You're like, that's it. Essentially, yeah. And that that and access. I didn't have I, I didn't want to spend money on getting like the, the special things so I can watch it online. I'm just like, you know what, this was okay. Then I then I hear the the literal verbal knife fights that go over the next two movies with people in the comments. I'm just like I don't want any more drama. 
I got better things to do. I can play D&D with my friends. I can play video games. I can do something with other people or I can watch this movie. So I might, I might break down and watch the last two movies of the new trilogy. And I might like watch some of the newer series, but it all depends on if I'm bored or not. And if I don't have something else going on. Yeah. My brother-in-law like stopped after the last Jedi. He hasn't watched much since then. And um, I was like, I watch everything because I feel like even if I don't like it, I need to be able to speak to it. I need to be able to like know what I'm talking about. (laughs) One of my friends is like, there are no bad Star Wars movies. I will watch it. I will like it. There might be some problems, but there are no bad Star Wars movies. Oh, so yeah, I disagree with that. I think there are bad Star Wars movies and there's bad Star Wars projects that have happened since Disney, but I, I will watch it either way. Yeah. So I can learn more. I think there, there might be like a glimmer of something that's good in it every time. Yeah, Actually, like, no. They're, they're... Rise of Skywalker was pretty bad. <laughs> and so that's the second it. one? No, that's the third one. That's the final one. Oh, that was oh, one, God. like, at least The Last Jedi, like, I could see what he was trying to do, and that gave me a little bit of respect for the director. Mm-hmm. But by the time we got to the third one, I was just like, oh, this is painful. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think I think this has been enlightening for me because I got to... I think the biggest takeaway for me was really the relatable characters and the lack of them in yeah. like the force awakens and that new trilogy. And like, as, and it kind of made me think back on like my love for Ray and really my love for Ray comes from, I admired her mm-hmm. and her self-sufficiency and the way she can handle herself. Um, but no, I never felt like I could relate to her. How can I relate to a girl who's been abandoned when she was like six years old on a planet and had to fend for herself? Like that, there's no way I can relate yeah. to that, right? Like there was, there was no build up to why is she self sufficient? Why is she so good at what she does? It's just like she's good at what she does, but why? Don't ask questions. It yeah. just is. Or go read the material, the background material, and then you'll find out if you go. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes my that's my soul hurt just a little bit all right well thank you so much for this conversation and is there anything else you want to add where can people find you if they're interested in finding you online uh you can find me on uh the irreverent gentleman's uh wordpress blog uh, gentleman's university of manliness or you can uh i don't know if my email is attached to this you can contact me directly through email which is do you want uh, me to put it in the show notes i can put it in the show yeah notes. you put you can put it in the show notes that'd be great uh i do copywriting all sorts of other stuff like that emails things like that podcast appearances even uh you can also find me on twitter at gent day irreverend because the irreverent gentleman was already taken and that's a thing i'll probably send you the link for that yeah on twitter Send me all the links. I'll put them. I'll put them all in the yeah. show notes. I appreciate it. Uh, business stuff is fine. Fun stuff is great. If you want to talk about D and can do that too. Star Wars right. is still a fun time. Either way, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>